Welcome to the My Life is the Medicine podcast, where we get off the never-ending search for more and take an inward gaze to find how our lives have already taught us profound truths. Rather than turning outward to experts or gurus, we talk with ordinary people and reflect inwardly about the life journey and everything felt, thought, and experienced along the way. Join us in casual conversation and reflective dialogue to discover how simply living a normal life, reflecting on our own life experiences, has already given us all the expertise we need. Hosted by Chuck Hancock, an ordinary human who has lived life in many roles, like psychotherapist, software engineer, school teacher, orphan, adoptee, father, brother, mentor, coach, ceremonialist, and more. Chuck is a weaver of wisdom from modern day psychology to ancient wisdom of indigenous and European roots, creating alchemy from everyday modern American life. So welcome to Alex Willen today. Mm. Uh, Alex is my guest uh, on the podcast and we're going to hear a lot about his life and what he's up to these days. Definitely in the times I've gotten to share with Alex so far on walks around the neighborhood and a little bit of drumming here and there and uh, through Hakomi Connections. Uh, We've had some great conversations and connections now, so I'm really excited to be able to share some more of Alex with you all. So welcome, Alex. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, If you want to start, Alex, by just orienting us a little bit to um, where you're at right now in your life, you know, however you want to define that age, stage, Mm. um, social circles, work, career, like where are you coming from in this moment as we're having this conversation? Mm. Yeah. Some of the like easy things to point to, I'm coming up to 41 years of age Mm -hmm. and, um, that'll be January of 2023. Um, and then somewhat tail end of a career shift. Mm. Uh, A lot of my formal education was in engineering. Uh, I spent a good number of years working as a professional in that field and then transitioned into management. And during that time came across more of a desire and yearning to support people outside of a corporate environment Mm -hmm. where there was more available uh, Mm -hmm. to talk about. In the corporate world, it was more of like, how do I get you to do your work? Mm -hmm. And that felt very limiting. Um, So I followed some interests that I had at a younger age of working Mm -hmm. on bodies, uh, working with bodies and started acquiring certifications and licenses so I could, so I could touch. And that was mm-hmm. like school of massage and then uh, school of structural integration, which is, a lot of people know as like rolfing. Mm-hmm. The school I went to is called anatomy trains. And I started a side, side business doing that mm-hmm. in the New York city area. Um, I was married at the time and had two young kids. So I had a full-time job in management part-time job doing uh, body work. And in that process, I also found out that there was like emotions that would come up yeah. in working with people's bodies. Absolutely. Even emotions that I was experiencing in like the training and not really knowing what it was. Hmm. And the word Hikomi kept coming up and people suggesting that I go through Hikomi training. Hmm. Some of like the body work teachers would suggest if somebody had a strong emotion, then just to be a good neighbor and say like, oh, that looks tough. Mm-hmm. but not really to help them process it. And to me, it seemed like a lost opportunity. So having that engineering mindset and wanting to know how people work, I continued to deepen my studies. But like the the stress and strain of having two jobs, two young kids living outside New York City, 
spending somewhere around $60,000 a year in daycare wow. started to wear. And um, my wife and I at the time decided it'd be best to, uh, to move to Colorado. Hmm. So um, other things also contributed to that decision. Things in like the corporate environment were not going so well. And uh, we moved to Colorado right before the start of the pandemic. I started building up a business in Boulder, Colorado. And uh, the pandemic hit, shut things down for a little while and gave me a chance to explore the area with my son. Traveled through New Mexico and Colorado, hmm. looked to deepen our relationship a bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, also in that time found out the marriage that I was in was not you know, best for the children, not best for us. And hmm. uh, split ways, uh, I think for, for the better of, of everyone. And also at this time, um, just a couple of months ago, some emotion that comes up in sharing it, but um, my kids have moved with their mother to South Dakota, oh. to her hometown. Hmm. So there's a lot of navigating those emotions, um, things that came up in my childhood, hmm. you know, that I uh, I'm facing in the process, hmm. and um, just accessing it to understand it, and yeah. also realize that it's not it's not the same thing that's happening to my kids that happened to me. Right. And so it could be just even more beautiful than what I could imagine. Hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, thanks for sharing vulnerably here too, the roots that go directly to your childhood. And Mm. you also even mentioned that the desire to touch and your career change goes back to childhood. Mm. Could you fill in a little bit of those gaps for us of like what what you're referencing these experiences in childhood? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for asking that. Yeah. Um, memories like real young, either, uh, feeling that I was supporting my mom through her divorce, Mm. you know, and, uh, holding her, uh, Mm -hmm. being asked by like counselors and lifeguards in summer camp Mm. to, uh, you know, to, to work on their shoulders or whatever it is and knots, Mm. massaging girlfriends in high school and college and Mm -hmm. them like regularly giving like that encouraging feedback and talking Mm. about like the magic of my hands and those kinds of things to the point where it's like, it's kind of comical. There's uh, a woman in college I went to, um, in upstate New York where she would, after having too much to drink, would come out like these hands, they're so amazing. <laughs> but, um, my, I don't know whether it was culture or other things. Uh, the masculine part of me was like, oh, I can't, can't do, I can't be a body worker. I can't be a massage therapist. I have to play sports and be a, an engineer. Right. So, um, that's, that's a path that I went instead. Uh-huh. And uh, got a degree in mechanical engineering and physics. I picked up a rugby habit in the process. <laughs> and um, yeah, that carried me through college and then afterwards. Mm-hmm. Which is a very physical embodied sport, right? Well, definitely one of the most, I think. Very much so. And yeah, and in reflection of it, realized that I was using rugby as well as like very intense workouts to feel my body. Uh-huh. That like I had shut a lot of it out. Yeah. Um, and whether it was like long time sitting or maybe not facing the emotions that I was feeling, maybe not being encouraged to, not knowing how to. Mm-hmm. Um, just the intensity, the collision of, mm. of rugby, uh, the, like the physicality of workouts is right. something that, that was acceptable in that, in that culture. And maybe that was the university that I went to or the neighborhood in which I grew up, the relationship you know, with other males. Right. It was okay to feel sore. It was okay to get hurt and be bruised. Mm. But like if you were hurt because somebody said something, you know, or because somebody didn't show up in that way. That was not, you know, as uh, welcoming. Right, right. Yeah. 
I love how your story so far has already brought in these dynamics of max masculinity and femininity and relationships with men and women and and how you you've always been on this embodied path, whether that's through massage or or rug, rugby. And it reminds me of maybe they said this in your Hakomi training. I know they did in mine. Um, that you know to get information about things you know we can either really turn up the volume of things um like sometimes like gestalt or psychodrama or things like that are really about making things really big and loud and cathartic in that way and hakomi is really about trying to like turn down the volume a little bit and, yeah. and see what's in the smaller subtler realms and it sounds mm -hmm. like you've had experiences really in both areas now right yeah in in some ways i've even feel blessed to have like some serious injuries that have taken me out of rugby mm. that have me be more sensitive to my environment um you know more sensitive to myself to even some things in my past yeah. that i i probably repressed before oh. and shut out mm -hmm. namely concussions Mm. I had a, a series of concussions, you know, mm. during my time playing. Sure. There wasn't a lot, you know, known about concussions uh, until like, you know, 2000s, 2010. And now I feel like it's starting to come out more and more about like the longstanding impacts, you know, some from like NFL. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like I can't necessarily like repress these feelings anymore or mm. like these mm. memories. So mm. where before I was able to kind of compartmentalize them you know, suffer through a lot. Now it's like my emotions are a little bit more on my sleeve. As like, you may have heard, you know, in mm -hmm. recounting some of the things in my past or, you know, what's going on now with my kids. Right. Is that like, yeah, like those are emotions are there. Right. And especially with Hikomi where you have to be a little bit more attuned to like the subtleness, yeah. you know, and, and the nuance of the conversation. Right. I feel like those concussions have kind of helped me access those hmm. and feeling feelings a, a bit easier, a bit more. But with that's also come a change of identity in ways and something that I've had to let go a little bit of no more like the macho rugby playing, you know, bodybuilding, drinking, partying person, right. like right. meditation's a lot bigger in my life. Mm. Um, authentic relating, you know, yeah. things like that. Processing emotions. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you've gone through a huge identity change. I don't think there's a domain of life that's really untouched, like location, family, job, career, mm -hmm. um, even how you're orienting towards yourself right. um, these days. Like, mm -hmm. it seems like it's all changed, Alex. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot, a lot of chaos, and some of it's just trying to find center or stay center in that. Yeah. Um, which I also feel is like a mix of like that masculine and feminine. Uh -huh. Is like where's where can I find that confidence? Right. As to who I am, especially with all this change. Right. Um, see the parts that are no longer me or no longer serve me and let them go. Mm. Um, and, and sometimes it's like taking time and also just like that allowance to not know. Like, I don't want to say you're a city or confidently knowing exactly what I want to do all the time or exactly who I am. Like there's times where I just like, I I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure. Mm. Which takes an interesting role in sometimes being someone's therapist or like a, a Hikomi counselor. Right. Coach. Right, right. You know, like they may be looking for an answer or somebody sit across from them and say, tell me what to do. Yeah. And it's really like that self-inquiry either in myself or in them that can help us find, you know, really what the next step is. Well, that's right. And, and I think, and it's, and holding the container for them in that inquiry too, I think is so important. Like your story reminds me of just last week in the group that I was running, we brought in some new members and, and they were talking about how they wanted spirituality to be a part of the group. And 
started, you know, asking in various ways, well, is it this kind of spiritual, is it that kind of spirituality? And, you know, like, and some people were like, yeah, the group definitely has spirituality. And posed the question like what is it and and then someone brought it back to me like what do you think it is you're the leader and i looked right at him and i was like i don't know <laughs> right right and to each is their own exactly. it, yeah it might be defined differently by anyone who answers that exactly yeah. yeah yeah and that i think is another shift in me is that i used to look for like you know somebody on the pedestal like the mm-hmm. just the mentor who knew everything Right. And why I'm, you know, so attracted to to your podcast and the content that you're putting out is that like everybody has their own experience and has mm-hmm. like their own path mm-hmm. and they can't look and idolize somebody else. You know, right. we all have to find out for ourselves what works and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing it as sloppy as the next person and finding <laughs> out whether in relationships or, or parenting, you know, messing up. Right. And also like the, the permission, the compassion that I have for myself, you know, that like I wasn't given the handbook. You know, mm-hmm. um, throughout my life, wasn't given like the best role models, and mm-hmm. that goes from anywhere from like teachers to childcare or whatever it is. But also identifying that as to like things that like I don't want versus things that I do want, and mm-hmm. I don't know, just feeling that like I'm uh, an average or collection of all these experiences and trying to put them together and make sense. Absolutely, yeah, yeah absolutely. I think that it's not only can nobody really tell us how to do it. I think it's actually really dangerous when we look to someone to tell us what to do or, or we start to follow or whatever, like, cause we can get lost and distracted along the way. And it sounds like maybe you've had some of those experiences. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. I think I used to externalize a lot of my success and worth based upon my accomplishments, mm. you know, whether it was a promotion that I got, the amount of money that I was making, the championships or the teams that I was on, those kinds of things, mm-hmm. uh, how I looked, and, you know, like how many people liked me kind of thing. Right. And it was a dangerous place to get into because I, I didn't know myself. I just, you know, knew what, what like the surroundings right. wanted. And um, yeah, after some things have collapsed and maybe it's like traumatic brain injury, Lyme's disease, mold toxicity, mm-hmm. like a number of health things where mm-hmm. I was just like exhausting myself, constantly mm-hmm. like pushing myself, but also like feeling like one foot was on the gas and one foot on the brake not really, you know, operating from like an authentic, genuine part mm-hmm. that I was like, I don't even know who I am. Right. You know, and, and there was all of these parts on like the outside of my world that started falling apart. You know, like resentment from the kids, resentment from my wife at the time, dissatisfaction with work. Like some part of me thinks that like the pandemic, mm-hmm. they're like, I had created that. <laughs> I'm sorry, everyone, yeah. you know, but like, that was just a reflection of like right. the, just this huge transition that had to come, this like shedding of this identity. Mm-hmm. And now through Haikumi, uh, through other work that I'm doing and whether it's spiritual work or medicine work, mm-hmm. you know, finding like the, I don't know, the easier paths, like the things that like I, I really should be doing, mm-hmm. identifying my passions and I don't know, finding that like the world is coming to me instead of me having to go out and constantly try to get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Mm. I have the sense as we're talking, Alex, that you know, like you've had like a, a billion memories and experiences and uh, feelings kind of flash through your mind as you've been sharing. Are there like, is there any one or two in particular uh, real specific uh, examples or stories, experiences that has popped in your mind so far that you'd be willing to share with us? Hmm. Yeah, I think the the birth of the first child usually um, has a has a big impact on mm-hmm. a parent. Mm-hmm. Uh, just definitely had ideals of being like the perfect parent, uh, you know, providing the discipline 
that the child needs, uh. you know, and um, getting them exposed to all the activities, you know, to make them a well-rounded person. My son was first born uh -huh. uh, November 22nd, 2011, 2012, mm. sorry. And um, yeah, I was like just super like attentive to like get him into the right daycares and, you know, the right enrichment programs and stuff, but wasn't really available to him emotionally. Hmm. Um, and also realized that I, I don't think I had the emotional attunement that I needed to feel safe as a child. And it was through like his response to me and, uh, him being a child and me being the parent that I was like, this isn't, this isn't what I planned for. Mm. You know, I'm like teaching discipline and he should be able to focus and like, I, I should just get more aggressive in order for that to happen. But, mm. you know, like, just bless his soul, you know, is that he's like this resilient character who was like, no, that's not how it is. So mm. that sent me on like a, a path of learning, uh, just becoming a parent, mm. not only like learning how to be a parent, but also what I needed, you know, and that self-parenting. Right. Yeah. And that continues to, to yield learnings and mistakes. Of course. Yeah. And, um, yeah, again, that compassion and also the understanding that like, uh, rupture with repair can right. be a lot stronger in a relationship right? than, than no rupture at all. Mm. So mm -hmm. that feels good. Where did this idea of like getting them in the right school and the right activities and the focus and the discipline come from? Like this, I think it goes back to like that external validation, you mm -hmm. know, like looking at like what, what has to happen in, in the world in order for them to be successful and not, not like the, um, responsibility of relationship mm. of like just feeling, you know, having a child feel secure, mm -hmm. feeling that a parent is there for them mm -hmm. and is like aware of their needs. And don't get me wrong. There was times where like we were laying on the couch and maybe he was really ill. I remember a time when he had hand, foot and mouth mm. and it was just like itching and crying. And maybe he was like one and a half, two years old. Mm. And I was just through the entire night, just like, you know, holding him to my chest on the couch. Mm. And like those moments came back as going like, yeah, this is what it means to be a father. It's not trying to get him into Ninja Warrior school so that he learns his body and movement and uh -huh. have him into Montessori school. So he learns all like these practical life skills, but really just holding and embracing. Uh, but then again, like that masculinity or the toxic masculinity, I think butted up against that. So like mm. in the... Late at night when the child's crying, I'm able to hold him. But like if we were walking on the street and he trips and, you know, scrapes his knee, not as easy to pick him up and hold him. Because come on, man, get up, toughen up. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What the term you just used, relational responsibility or something? Is mm. that what you said? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, uh, I wanted to ask you what you meant by that. And then you kind of went on to talk about a little bit of like, you know, the external validation of like what he needs to be out in the world and mm -hmm. using that as feedback versus the, you know, showing up when he's, you know, not sleeping and itching and crying and that sort of thing. And, um, and then you went back again to the, how it's hard to, uh, necessarily give that if he trips and falls on the sidewalk versus, mm -hmm. you know, needing the comfort in the home. Right. Yeah. I, I want to just riff on that a little bit more, this idea of like, being out in the world versus this relational responsibility. Can you say more about that? In your yeah, I think I, I found that through Hakomi, uh -huh. you know, and tracking and contacting and like some of the, some of like the core parts of it is like, you know, getting that attunement, like that limbic resonance, I think is what they refer to it in Hakomi, right. where it's like seeing the child for like their needs. Mm. And I think what I was doing was projecting my needs onto them. 
on mm. on to my son in particular. Like he needed to be like this athletic, tough kind of kid. But like as I deepened into my Icomi training and into like my own self exploration, I was like, no, it's actually just having like a caregiver who knows what you need. And like if facing some difficulty to say like, yeah, it's tough. Right. You know, and getting them the resources, right. getting them like the actual like help that they need in order to feel oriented in the world, safe at home, those kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. That, thank you. That's, that's a great description. And it makes me think of how my journey with my own son has actually been uh, similar, but in an opposite way. Cause I, I, I made the turn to study therapy and uh, Hakomi um, right about the time my son was born. And so I, I started really trying to be so attuned and careful and relational and, you know, have all these conversations and, and I, I felt like, uh, you know, it was, it was getting rejected a lot. And I used to think like, oh, what's, what's wrong with me? Why am I, I must not be a good parent or a dad or a counselor or something if it's not like that. And, and I, we were vegetarian for a while and it was like, come on, sensitivity and attunement and all that was like the only way. And, um, and now my son's uh, 15 and in high school, and he, he's wanted to play football his entire life. And we were like, no, 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 he's never going to play football. And uh, he only played flag football, but he just persisted and persisted. And it's like, no, I want to play tackle. I want to play tackle, you know. And, and now he's in high school, and finally we let him play tackle because – to me, part of that attunement was like, this is what his personality and his mm -hmm. body's calling for, right? right? And I could, I could again, try to like project my own needs and desires of like, no, we've got to be sensitive and attuned because I didn't get that as a kid. Mm -hmm. So, um, but that wasn't really what he needed. And, and now he's playing tackle football and thriving. And so yeah. it's like, there's no one fit. Now even back to what we were talking about. Yeah. Earlier. Yeah. And I, I, what I'm also hearing is like, there's this evolution of the child into when they really become like an individual. Yeah. And then like that they're so confident as to like what their needs are and what like their, their path is. Mm. Is that like, there has to be like this easing of like the oversight or of like the, you know, the instruction as a right. parent. Yeah. That I think I'm like, I'm on the, the verge of like experiencing. Uh-huh. I've heard um you know parenting can be described as like keeping your kids within the guardrails. Right. So like they don't veer too far off the road, mm -hmm. you know. And um I'm curious if like there was a time it sounds like football was like a a big turning point where you're like giving him the um the autonomy to make that decision. Mhm. Mm and was there anything like leading up to those beforehand? You know, where like you did feel safe, you know, to let him make his own decisions? Um that's a good question. I think, well, the other like really uh, common, I, I want to say battleground is the first word that's coming because it, it definitely felt like that, even though I didn't ever want it to be like that, was with video games and screens because mm. um, he really wanted to um, just play tons of video games, especially during COVID years, as, as you were just talking about. Yeah. But but even before COVID, you know, it was sort of like, actually, in a way, COVID was the tipping point for us of like, we used to be really restrictive of like, no, this is not good for your brain. You cannot do this. And mm. he kept, you know, but we kept having conversations like, no, I'll do this. I'll do this. We'll compromise. Here's how I'm going to stay balanced. And, you know, and uh, eventually through conversations with him, as well as uh, was COVID, um, we started to let him have more and more uh, time on video games and things like that right. um, and just trying to trust his own judgment and his own nervous system which was against a lot of my belief systems and yeah. training as a therapist and and what neuroscience was saying is is happening you know right. as brains develop but 
but I had to like take that risk and lean into it. And, and mm. I think it's paid off. And then now it's doing the same thing with football. He really is able to balance more. I mean, he still has plenty of screen time and plays plenty of video games with his friends. It's his social yeah. life. Yeah. And he also gets out and uses his body and he goes to the gym most days of the week and right. is, is developing both at the same time, which yeah. I think is, is beneficial to stay balanced. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, I honor you for honoring your son and his intelligence and his ability. It sounds like that there was some dialogue and exchange that started to happen yeah. where it wasn't like you had to make all the decisions. You saw he had that capacity to make decisions for himself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And trying to keep it in check too, right? Recognize he's developmentally, developmentally yeah. appropriate decisions, right? right? And then what right. is that? I mean, back to the I don't know. Like we're yeah. constantly in the is this really appropriate? I don't know. But let's uh -huh. let's just experiment and see how it right. goes, right? And we have all of this information from the past, right? But we're also going into unprecedented times, and whether that's you know pandemics or other things, or even technologies, and how like we're going to be interacting with it, right? So it like. It's it's a really tough subject, and I think to each individual also comes an answer, or to each relationship comes an answer. Yeah, yeah. But it's regardless, it's a way of life that has to be addressed. Right. Yeah. You know, I interact with my phone much more than than I did when I was a child. Totally. And you know, much more than my parents did when they were children. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's constant studying, I think, and just awareness of what's happening. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, as as we're talking about this, and I appreciate your 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 appreciation and of of the struggle I just shared. Like, I'm aware of like how much deep trust um, and willingness to be wrong and uh, uncertainty. Mm. Like, I, I was swimming in to to get to that point, which is really hard. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. I think like, as speaking for myself as a parent, I feel like you know the onus is on me. To make right. sure that like the, the child has like whatever the ideal childhood or like the perfect experience. And at some point there also has to be the surrender. Right. You know, like they're going to have their own experience. And right. even if it's a difficult one, it might build strength. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, the, the term that you used, it was so brilliant. I mean, it popped back in my head, relational responsibility, like somewhere mm -hmm. in between, like I'm the parent and I know, and I'm going to, it's totally my responsibility right. to guide this, this human being. And the other extreme I think is like, oh, well, no, they know. Like, we'll just follow mm. their guidance. Well, no, they're kids. They don't know. Right. Like, but there's this relational responsibility of like, right. together we're going to engage and figure this out. Right. Yeah. Which constantly is, changing too. And it's constantly changing. Yeah. 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 There's uh, been a lot of, I don't, a lot of learnings from that and a lot of, I just love the material that's coming out now, whether it's through podcast or Instagram, sometimes like these little bite-sized pieces mm -hmm. where people are also being vulnerable and saying like, yeah, you know, give it a try, yeah. you know, have a, have a conversation about it. Maybe find a sandbox where the kid can play, mm -hmm. allow them to have like their learning opportunity and also, you know, some organic consequences, mm -hmm. you know, um, we were told from our son's pediatrician, I think, when he was first born, was like, this is going to be the type of kid who touches the stove to find out that it's hot. Mm. Like, you can't tell him. Mm. And I think similar to my daughter, that uh, they have to find out for themselves. Now, like, they don't necessarily, you know, put their face in the oven or in the broiler to find out that it's hot. But if they have to touch something to find out, like, they shouldn't do it, then mm. allow them to have that experience. Right. And if it's like the parent that's constantly telling them what's right or wrong, then it also develops that dependency. Right. And which if we're looking to raise human beings, you know, ones who can go out into the world and be able to make, you know, 
good critical judgments. Right. The, we have to loosen, loosen the reins a little bit for them to do it in appropriate manners. Totally. It's such a harder way to learn. I, or there's this man in Old Town I met. Um, I don't know if you happen to see this store. It doesn't have a name. It's right by the chocolate um, factory. It's yeah. like just all this art, creative art. You know what yeah, I'm talking about. I, I do. Tell. And I've heard his name before and I hear he's brilliant. Yeah. He, he is. I had a conversation with him one night. I wish I'm bummed. I can't remember his name right Maybe now. Maybe less or something, but. Something like yeah, that, yeah. yeah. He and and he said that that's that's how he's learned his entire life. Nobody's ever taught, or people have tried to teach him things, sure. and he he literally can't make anything or build anything until he has the two parts in his hand yep. and tries a hundred ways to make things go together mm-hmm. and fails ninety nine times and yep. then goes, oh yeah, okay, this is how it goes, yeah. And that's how he's made everything in mm-hmm. his life, um, yeah. Which was so inspiring and so hard, right? Yeah. I, I want shortcuts. <laughs> oh, totally. And I think like, you know, going back to like the technology part of life is that like there can um, usually be those appearances yeah. that everyone's nailed it on the first time, right? you know, and just success by just doing this one thing. And I think, you know, behind the scenes, what's really happening is like multiple takes, multiple pictures, a lot of support, you know, advisors and those kinds of things. Or just, you know, like the the failing and trying again and failing and trying again. Right. Uh, which is another reason why I appreciate a podcast like this, where people can be real and authentic. Right. Yeah. You know, and say like, yeah, this is like, this life is, you know, constant set of experiments mm-hmm. and collection of data. Mm-hmm. And sometimes so much information that we can't even, you know, articulate exactly, you know, all of the points behind our decisions. It can sometimes be more of like an intuition or a feeling. Right. That can guide us to to whatever it might be, right. choices of career, choice in relationship, you know, and just any decision-making. Absolutely. No. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And there's something about the re-experiencing. If it's okay, if I go back a couple of steps there, yeah. Alex, you made a comment about part of what has shaped you in your current career change and, and mm-hmm. learning how to be more relational was... Uh, somehow about how you were showing up with your mom and, and her divorce or something like that. Mm-hmm. And you're having to remember that, that your divorce is not the same divorce. Can can you yeah. expand on that a little bit more? Yeah. If you don't mind me. Um, no, no, so that's fine. I, I yeah. just want to, I guess, pick out some of like the gems. Yeah. Um, my parents' divorce was filled with a lot of anger. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's something that I can share, you know, that yeah. would not be um, argued. Yeah. And uh, I think I held on to that anger in different ways, like just in any kind of relationship, if that there was like some disturbance in it, that like the other person was wrong and we couldn't get along. Right. And through whatever my study of self or of Haikomi, realizing that that was like, that was a falsehood. Yeah. Uh, So I've really been making efforts to modify the relationship with uh, with my uh, kid's mother. Um, and constantly having to come back and say like, what's my intention here? What's my intention? Mm -hmm. Um, and be friendly there. Um, and another part, which I think informs more of my, uh, calling to be a therapist and counselor, coach, those kinds of things, Mm -hmm. um, was from a young age, like feeling that I can support, you know, someone going through a difficult time. And whether it was my mother, and then I started doing it with friends, sometimes just being very present, actively listening. Mm. It was like a skill that was honed from a very young age. That got a little bit corrupted with like some of the toxic masculinity, like I could listen and then manipulate. Mm. Um, And 
now with more of my self-study, my meditation practice, I feel like I can more listen and ask powerful questions and help get to core material, challenge those kinds of core materials, give other people options as to like how they may want to filter life or experience life. Uh, a lot of Haikomi talk going on right now. So <laughs> hopefully, uh, hopefully this resonates with the audience. Um, and then also like in that engineering part of me, mm. like breaking things into systems and as to like how they work so that I can understand them mm -hmm. and possibly convey them to others mm -hmm. and even translate, you know? And right. so like, these are the parts. Right. And then we can come back to the whole and like all of those parts that may make a self mm -hmm. and making sense out of something. Mm -hmm. So Hikomi was developed by a systems engineer, Ron Kurtz. Mm -hmm. Anatomy Trains, the bodywork uh, school that I went to, was developed by a man, Tom Myers, who studied underneath Buckminster Fuller, who was like a futurist. Mm. Um, and he put together like these continuities of tissue in the body that are of stress and strain and things like that. I was like, that's engineering. I know that stuff. Yeah. So um, in some way, I feel like I can translate you know, to, to people who are going through transitions, maybe finding more spirituality in their life, uh, trying to make sense as to like how, how their life has ended up the way it is and how they can shift. Right. So, I hope that answers some of the question. Cause it, you know, started with like the childhood and some of that experience as to like being in some ways comforting to, to people at a young age mm -hmm. and transition more into like the later part of life. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and what I'm hearing is is how you've learned how to weave those things together a bit um, that you need it. Like there was the learning how to be supportive and, and comforting to people earlier in life. Then there was like the more, you know, science engineering, you know, if we want to generalize into say masculine type linear mindset um, mm. skills that were developed and and then now with both your body work and Hakomi that you're finding a way to to weave them together yeah yeah I think like those softer skills of like um, holding space mm -hmm. uh, processing emotion feeling feelings mm -hmm. you know just finding that that bridge between you know like what is the body doing what's the mind doing and now like what's the experience right you know like how are we actually interacting with the world and being able to understand that more now from like a spiritual, psycho-emotional kind of standpoint. Mm -hmm. And then also tying it back to maybe more of like my, my roots in the sciences. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to just push pause on our conversation for today. But be sure to come back next week because as always, the conversation gets deeper and more insightful. And we can really see the bigger arc of the picture. So... Be sure to check out the next episode so that you can continue receiving the medicine that our guest is so willingly sharing with us. Thank you for listening to My Life is the Medicine. We hope our guest story this week has inspired you to look closer at your own life. Maybe you heard some of your own story and their story through many of these experiences are common, ordinary experiences. And maybe something about their story was unique, which also might have inspired you to think about how your life, too, is unique. Either way, we hope our story today has helped you to see that your life, too, is the medicine. If you'd like to consider diving deeper into your own story and sharing your story with others, we hope you might consider joining us on a future episode. And if not, that's okay, too. We hope you'll continue listening, keep reflecting, and help you see how your life, too, is the medicine. Take good care, and we'll see you next time.